kid, kid, kid. We all good morning, everyone. Grace and peace. Good to see y'all. Uh, as y'all notice, we have our first woman to ever attend our men's Bible study, Becca Heidelberg. Welcome, Becca. Thank you. Uh, Becca asked if she could share about a uh, ministry that she, uh, do you head it up? She heads it up. It's big. Uh, and she wants to invite y'all to participate in it. Becca, go ahead. Thank you. All right, so um, seven years ago, this will be our eighth season, God just really laid on my heart to pray for and write notes of encouragement to college athletes. And being a Red Raider at that time, it was specifically for Red Raiders, but I'm married to an Aggie, and so then all of a sudden it happened twice. So for uh, seven seasons, we've been doing this at Tech and AM, and then about three years ago, we had somebody head up UT. We also now have Tech men's and women's basketball. But it's called Sideline Supporters, and what happens is uh, anybody who registers, we call them a supporter, and if they register, they're paired with a player or a coach from the school. We get You can pick your school. You, you, Red Raiders don't have to pray for Longhorns, but you're welcome to. They need it. So, <laughs> they need Jesus. That's right. That's right. So uh, you pick your school, and then you get matched with somebody, and you support them through that season. It's that many. It's usually about 13 letters, depending on bowl games. Some people don't have to write as many. Um, and it, it doesn't have to be a long front and back page letter because these are college kids and they're not going to read that anyway. But just a note each week of, hey, I'm praying for you, and I want to encourage you. And we also send out uh, every Monday, sometimes Sunday, usually Monday, uh, uh, ideas. Uh, this week, let's pray for their thoughts. Let's pray that they have pure thoughts and what they engage in. And you don't have to write about that, but it just, uh, I had people in the beginning say, I'll do it, but I don't know what to write. So I'm usually not at a loss for words. Um, so I said I'd provide some ideas. So anyway, it's called Sideline Supporters. Right now, our A&M roster is covered. We have all 130 riders. Uh, we still need about 50 for Tech and about 80 for UT. <coughs> Um, in the beginning, I was very focused on getting men to write to the men's sports, just because I think it's so good for these college kids to know that there's a male uh, in their life that's not, that doesn't have to be there. It's not a coach or a dad. It's someone volunteering to pray for them and support them. Um, but I kind of just lost put, putting that focus on it. And so... Like, unfortunately, for A&M, I think we only probably have two dozen men writing, which I'm grateful for all the women that have stepped up, but um, I'm here today to really try to get some men to, to join back in this, because that's, I just think, so important, especially in our culture today, for them to know that, that there's someone else out there that's a man of God that's praying for them. So, anyway, if you know someone, if you want to do it, or if you know someone that'll do it, um... It does. It is a little bit of a time commitment, but it's it's kind of neat. And once you get paired with somebody, you, you think they're yours. You pray for them all season, and and you care if they get hurt, or you care if they're sitting on the sidelines. And um, it's it's funny you feel attached to them. So it's kind of a neat deal. But it's not a two-way communication. You very rarely will hear back from them. So there, it's just kind of a one-way commitment. It's not a pen pal. But if if that interests you, or if you know anybody that you work with, that especially if they're a Red Raider. Or a Longhorn, 
Um, I apologize about the font size on this, but it's just sidelinesupporters.com. On a big computer screen, when I okayed these, they looked they looked good. But by the time they printed out, they're tiny. So, all right, all right. that's my seal. Any questions for Rebecca? It's not an email, it's a handwritten letter. It is a handwritten note, which can be typed or printed, but they don't read cursive. <laughs> well, y'all, let's pray for Becca real quick. Lord, we're just so grateful for all the ways that Becca seeks to pour into the lives of these athletes and to pull people together. I just pray that you give her strength and her whole team uh, focus uh, as they continue to recruit uh, people to write. We just commend all these players to you for the upcoming season and just pray that you will do far more in their hearts and their lives than they could possibly imagine. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. You're welcome. Y'all thank Becca. They can't read cursive? <laughs> they don't read cursive is what you said. What's this world coming to? I know, right? Well, good morning again, everyone. Uh, we are looking forward to our time together. And as we uh, begin, yesterday was actually Psalm 91 day. But Psalm 91 has uh, much to do with what Pastor Kurt and I are going to be sharing with you uh, today. So we thought that that would be a good starting point uh, for us. Let's pray together. Psalm 91. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely He will save you from the fowler's snare and from deadly pestilence. He will cover you with His feathers and under His wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you say, the Lord is my refuge and make the most high your dwelling, no harm will overtake you. No disaster will come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift up your hand, lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call on me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him with long life. I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We are speeding our way through Mark chapter one. No, we're not. <laughs> we've we've done eleven verses in a couple of weeks. Uh, that's okay. It's it's a big deal. We want to get it right. So Mark, the teenage follower of Jesus, now an adult, is writing an account for us where he is making the words of Scripture come true. 
And his idea, his words, probably Jesus' words really, the basora, the gospel is happening. The moment in which everybody is invited back to the mountain of God. Everybody returns to God. Not just Jew, but Gentile. It is, in a real sense, a rebirth. The groundwork for this was laid by John the Baptist. We've talked about him a little bit. He was the popular guy uh, in the day. He was this miraculous son of priests, or a priest. And he began this reform movement that Israel really should be born all over again that they had failed to return in a righteous way. So he gives up sort of the priestly roles and he goes back out in the desert and he says, we're going we're gonna to start all over, folks. We, we need a reset. We're going to re-sign the Constitution and have our revolution and do all that stuff all over again. So to make this very clear, John has taken a, a ritual cleansing uh, process called mikvah, and he is making it now a, a sign of rebirth that we're going to be born again. And Jesus is stepping into this, and he is fulfilling everything that John has been alluding to. Sort of, as I said, John made way, made straight the way, but Jesus is actually performing it. So Jesus is acting as a perfect human. He's also, I think, acting as a kind of symbol for Israel, starting over. And he's acting as the, the, the Messiah bringing in, in this kingdom. So we've discussed the baptism, and he didn't necessarily need to do that, but he did do it, and, and the, the acceptance from God. And then we look at verse 12. Immediately, the Holy Spirit compelled Jesus to go into the wilderness. Now, when I was a boy and they said wilderness, I thought it was the uh, forest, right? You know, the, the deep green. Um, let me show you a picture of where Jesus goes. It's uh, that. Well, yeah, that's it. Um, Kind of looks like outside of Stanton to me. <laughs> Those lakes, um, minus a little bit of uh, uh, cactus or, or mesquite or something. I mean, it's 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 a whole lot of dirt. It's nothing. So this is the west side of the sea, the Dead Sea. This is south of Bethlehem, Jerusalem. Uh, as long as this area has been inhabited. Uh, the region, this area is really not. Um, everything sort of depends on dry land farming, and the clouds are too dry when they get to these these foothills, and so there's there's really nothing out there even today. Um, there, there's a famous road that goes through this, and they call it the Road of the Scorpion, <laughs> which is kind of descriptive. You know, it's it's not the 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 sheep's prancing lane; it's it's the way of the scorpion. So the Holy Spirit, and that's strong language, right? Compels him to go into the wilderness. He was there for 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was out among the wild animals and angels took care of him. So packed, packed in there. 
Why does the Holy Spirit want him in the middle of that? And why why be tempted by Satan? I mean, I thought God doesn't tempt us. What's going on? God is strengthening. Strengthening? Or maybe help him realize the strength he has. Uh, Pastor Steve and I uh, heard of another famous pastor yesterday that uh, had some moral failure and uh, just another plane crash of a, of a career. And you, and you look at these guys and you think, you've got all the skills, all the abilities, all the organizations. Uh, what, what is it? Um, it's sort of, it's all here. They know what to do. But here, there's still so much, so much going on. And as hard as it is for us sometimes to wrap our brain around, there is a very human side of Jesus. He is not just reading a script. He's not, oh, this is what I'm supposed to do today. I mean, there's the divine part and there's the human part. We know this because when he's at the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before he's arrested and taken away, he's really upset. The human side of him is not excited about being crucified. I mean, we glibly say, well, you're born for that. <laughs> well, that's great until it's you. You know, the Romans are going to do the worst they can to him, and he's going to die a horrible death. Now, as always, he is this perfect model. He does go through the process. Uh, he decides what's God's will is better even than his, and so he's going to do it. But please hear, Jesus went through this, we go through this. God is very interested in helping you understand you. There's more to you sometimes than you realize. There's more to you than what you have to do day to day. There is a strength. There are building blocks. There are tools that God puts in there for you. And a lot of times we can say we're following God. We can say we're following His will. But it's like saying you can swim in the shallow. You're a great swimmer when you can touch the bottom. A lot of times God has to get us in the deep water and now now you're, you're really going to swim, right? To bring out of you what you wouldn't normally have to do. If Jesus goes through this, so do we. Uh, there are too many stories in Scripture where God... Test, is that is that the right word? I mean... Test, tempt, try, uh, yeah. prove. I mean, however you want to say it, it's uh, it's all the same thing. <laughs> we're, we're, we don't like... Are we... Are we alive again? Okay. Uh, we don't like the word test because of our eighth grade English teacher. <laughs> right? I mean, or whatever. We, but, but there is a beautiful side of being tested. Right? Because then it gives you the opportunity to continue to stay yes to that which you believe to be true. And the more that you say yes, right? The easy, the, the, the easier it is for us to walk into who we really are. Because you see, God is the one, God is the author of our lives. He is, He is the author of who, how we were made to live. And as we continue to say yes to that, ah, now that's what full life is all about. 
There's a pattern in Genesis when we get to Abraham's family where each generation, and Genesis I think is powerful and then it follows a generation, a family for five generations, but you see each generation sort of deal with their sin. And a lot of times that's being passed from father to son. But you also get to see God's response over generations. And at least from Genesis, his favorite tactic is if you have a particular weakness or a sin that you perform against other people, he will visit it upon you until you're sick of it. Remember when you were young and you got caught smoking? Uh, what, what did your dad do to try to quit you, convince you to quit smoking? Smoke the whole pack. God, I think, is the, the originator of that, that idea. Uh, you, you think this is good? I'll show you good. Um, the classic example is Jacob, who is a cheater. He's a liar. Uh, he uh, cheats his brother, cheats his father to try to get the birthright. He's, he's always finagling his way. And God says, okay, this, this is how you're going to do it, so we'll, we'll do it. So when he tries to get married, uh, he gets cheated. Instead of the beautiful young bride he wants, uh, at the night he gets married, they put a veil on the uh, woman named Cal. Now, it's bad when your bride's name is Cal, Leah. Um, please don't name your daughter Leah. You know, when I was a boy, I loved Princess Leia, and then she grew up, and she turned into a cow. <laughs> so Leia was prophetic <laughs> in Carrie Fisher's way. But um, please, please don't do that. But uh, so he, he gets cheated that way. Uh, and then, you know, he has to work another seven years for her. Uh, there are so many examples when uh, he wrestles with the angel. What does the angel do to him? Do you remember? Breaks his hip. And it's very clear the, the angel strikes him, which when you're having wrestling matches, especially in the ancient world, you, you can't hit. That's cheating. So the angel cheated him. And again, you just see this pattern where God's like, are, are you done yet? Are, are you done yet? So if you have deja vu, in your spiritual life, and you're thinking, oh, here I am dealing with this thing again, you might just take a moment and realize God may be trying to say something. But we need these moments. Uh, Jesus needed this moment. Uh, not just to be like Israel again, because remember, he's, he's sort of parted the Red Sea. He's been in the Jordan River, and now he's in the wilderness for 40 days. Not 40 years, but for 40 days. We know from other scripture, right, what's he doing or not doing in those 40 days? He's not sinning, yeah. What else is he not doing? Fasting. He's fasting, yeah. He's, he's not eating. Now, we have to put that in some context. What would happen if you fasted for 40 days? Wouldn't that? <laughs> you would die. <laughs> You'd absolutely die. Uh, so a lot of times when we read this stuff uh, out of context, we don't get what fasting really means biblically. Fasting means from sunup to sundown. So at night, they eat. Now, he's not having wild barbecues, you know, at night and getting all his carbs and all that. It's, it's probably 
very minimal, uh, but he's he's not totally going without. I say this always because I used to preach on this, and then I had a, a member of my Bible study go, man, Pastor Kurt, I've been fasting, uh, fasting for like three or four days, and I don't think I'm going to make the 40 days. <laughs> I'm like, whoa, whoa, stop. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not. It's not, not what you think it is. So please, um, don't, don't try to go 40 days without food. Um, Jesus didn't even do that. But you want to? Yeah. So uh, one of the things that's unique about Mark's gospel, and um, Kurt is really on top of all this stuff, it seems like one of the the, uh, differences between Mark and, say, uh, Matthew and Luke is that Mark is in a hurry. Uh, and that he leaves out some details that the other ones include. Uh, we're gonna, when we get to the end of Mark, we're going to find out that something happened to the end of the book and either ran out of space or uh, it fell off or something weird happened. Uh, but Mark is being very efficient. I think that's the way that we need to put put it. Very efficient with his writing. And one of the things that we know about we know about specific ways in which Satan did tempt Jesus or test Jesus, however we want to say it, from Matthew and Luke. Um, the temptation was is that Jesus was hungry, and so Satan comes at him and says, "Hey." You know what the word is? If you are the Son of God, turn these stones into bread. Uh, Maybe you're familiar with that. That's the first two temptations. It begins with an if statement. That word in Greek is meta. Isn't that right? It's meta. That can also be translated since. So that's one of your jobs this week is to ponder that. What is the difference between if you are the Son of God, do this, and since you are the Son of God, do this? Something to ponder, right? Because the problem with Jesus in that moment when Satan came after him is that he was hungry. So why not do that? Why not take your power, and because he could have done this, he actually does it, in essence, uh, when he feeds the multitudes later in the Gospels. Why not do that? Something to ponder. Will he resist? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Is it like this desire to fulfill our wants and our needs, maybe at the expense of others, what drives you? I think that's what, you know, these temptations that Jesus gets hit with by Satan in the wilderness, in some ways they are all of our temptations, right? Um, The next temptation, if or since you are the Son of God, go up on top of the temple and throw yourself off. Because the Bible says, this is Satan, knows his Bible, right? And you know where he quotes from? Psalm 91. So Satan quotes from Psalm 91 because after all, the Bible says, God will command his angels concerning you and you will not strike your foot against the stone. Is there a stone at the foot of the temple? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's there. And, uh, and so then Jesus fires back with it. It's like, what is it like to get into a scripture war with Jesus? Yeah, you're going to lose, right? You're going to lose. Um, because at the, at the heart of what's going on here is when Jesus is in the wilderness, is God with him for his good? Is his father with him for his good? You're my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. That is the word that is echoing in Jesus' ear as he is now out in the wilderness for these 40 days. If that is true, is there strength to stay, to stay rooted in his purpose? Right. So, they, so then Jesus fires back uh, and uh, quotes scripture to him. You shall not. It is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Pretty clear in scripture that God puts us to the test. Right? Uh, Kurt's already given a lot of examples. Uh, there's many examples in uh, the book of Exodus and, and Numbers where God puts people to the test. It's kind of one of the ways in which God changes us and transforms us and gives us the opportunity to say yes. Uh, the last temptation uh, that we learn about is that is that basically Satan says he shows Jesus the whole world. Right? Who does Matthew or who does Mark already say Jesus is? Son of God and what else? He's the Messiah. All right. There's a that's loaded language, right? We've already talked about that. And so all of the uh, world is going to be ruled by Jesus, right? It's all going to be his. But Satan invites a shortcut. And the shortcut is, bow down and worship me, and I will give all of this to you. It's kind of a weird, weird, weird thing. Um, and, of course, Jesus resists it, resists and says, away from me, Satan. It is re- written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So that puts us all in a place to ask that question. Um, man, in our lives and in the choices that we make, um, are we constantly hearing that voice from God that is inviting us to give our full and complete and undivided loyalty to God and to trust Him? Remember, from Genesis chapter 3, who is the Scriptures calling us to look for? Somebody who will crush the snake's head. Somebody who will pass the test and take this world now that has moved from a garden. It's interesting to note this movement. So we're in the, we, we begin in the garden and now we have Jesus here in the world. This is certainly this picture of, is this the man? He's not, he's in the wilderness. Is, is this the man? Where, where, Notice what happens here. He was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted in the Satan, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and the angels attended him. 
what is that? It's like, how many times have you blown by that? And just like, okay, what is up with that? It's the only reference to, G, to, to animals in the, uh, the Gospels. What is good news, right? Mark is writing about the Besora, the, the Uangelion, the good news. What is good news about Jesus being with the wild animals in the, gar, in the, in the wilderness? Well, if you go back to Genesis chapter 1, humanity is created. And if you remember, what is the charge that the human is given? What's that? Dominion over the animals. That you are to rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and the uh, animals that creep along the ground. That's right. Now, if you read the story through three chapters, who ends up ruling who? The animal ends up ruling the human. And so here Jesus is. He is now in the wilderness. And he is being God's man, the snake crusher, the animal tender that God had intended humanity to be all along. And here, just a few, cha- few, few verses, he is going to be inviting some men to follow him. It's in essence, say, come and be like me. I, come with me. Come with me to the wilderness and be the people that you have been made to be from the foundation of the world. This is the invitation. It's good stuff. It's fun to talk about Jesus, but we're next. If you haven't had your 40 days, they're coming to figure out who you are, really what's in you, and really where God is in your life. That whole thing about man doesn't live by bread alone, it's huge. Yeah, Uh, You guys know we've talked about enough. The word bread and life are the same. Lachem is bread and it's life. So give us this day, our daily bread. It's let us have life today. So how many times do we just say, you know, I, I, I just need a life. I just need to get by. I just need to get through. Jesus is saying, that's not really your life. That, that's, that's going to be there. God's going to take care of it. But, but living, paying the bills, being responsible, taking care of all those things. Yes, your know, family. Yes, that, that's the entry level. But this life is something more. It's this engagement with God's word. It's this engagement with God's will. You know, we, we say, you, you'll never win a scriptural war with Jesus. Would Satan win a scriptural war with you? Hmm. It's it's a little bit different. We say Jesus is incarnational, that he came to us in a way that makes sense to our life and our world. He walked as us. Well, so does Satan. Satan's capable of really getting in your business too and knowing you sometimes better than you know you. Jesus is beginning his ministry as a rabbi. And so Satan really has taken on the role of rabbi too. They're having this rabbi discussion. This is how they resolve things. They quote scripture to each other. Who has a better command of it? Uh, So Satan went to that place, and he's going to go to that place with you. 
So again, we need to know who we really are. Yeah, we've got faults, we've got sins, we've made mistakes, but that's not really who you are. That's not really why God put all the pieces together in you. You are, like Jesus, capable of great good, of holiness in this life. And you have to know that. Not just here, but here. You know, let me make it very spiritual for you a second. You're not as big a screw up as you think you are. Right? God really believes you can do this. That's right. He believed it with Jesus. So I pray you get the call to go out there sometime to learn these lessons. And as I look around the room, and I know some of you, you've, you've already been there. You, you've been through the suck. Um, it's probably not completely over. Um, but realize God's point is to get us ready for eternity. Are you just going to be a person that exists? Are you just going to be an animal that talks? Is that all that there is to you? Or do you need those events to discover more? So Jesus went through it. I think I know we're going to go through it. So questions? Comments? Worries? Yes, sir. I recognize 40 days relatively relative to 40 years, but why, what, I mean, why 40 instead of 7? You said 7 is complete. Okay. The significance of the number 40. It's like mega complete. Um, it's a generation. So everything that you've you've done and said, everything that you are is sort of defined. So, yeah, good question. So just think of all the 40s that you know in Scripture. So we've got uh, we've got 40 days and 40 years in the wilderness. Uh, we've got what didn't it rain for 40 days and 40 nights? It's never it's never fun stuff. Right, and so it's this. It is this test. Vacation for forty days. Yeah, right. <laughs> and so it's this challenging stuff, and it doesn't sound fun, but it always ends up being good. Right. I want y'all to. There's a uh, a Bible project video called the test. It's uh, seven minutes long. Just go look that up. And spend some time with that sometime this week. I really want to encourage you. And here, here's your challenge from my perspective. Maybe Pastor Kurt's got another one. Uh, this is your challenge. To, to, to read this scripture, Mark 1, 12 through 13. And read side by side Psalm 91 with it every day this week. The, those two together. And all that we kind of talked about today and, and see what the Lord is seeking to, to teach you through where you are being tempted, right? I mean, we all have temptations, right? We are, it's like there may be times where it's more abject, like this 40 days in the wilderness, but we, we all experience certain temptations. Are we going to bail on God? Or are we going to trust his goodness? And so where, where do you feel that pressure right now? And what would it be like to really say, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from God's mouth? Got anything else for him? Just uh, one little special invitation. After many years of working at this, um, I'm in the final stages of our first trip to Israel. And I feel a special bond with this group. Uh, what we've done in study 
I think will be absolutely uh, put into perspective um, to not just do a tour of Israel, but really take, in a biblical sense, kind of a pilgrimage to take 40 days uh, and and go walk in the places that Jesus walked. Now, nobody has 40 days, uh, so we're going to condense it to uh, 10 days. Uh, so that's in and out of country. Um, We'll probably open it up in about two weeks, but I just want to lay it out there for for you guys. Uh, I, mm, let, let me just say this with humility: uh, there has never been a trip to Israel like this. I, honestly, you can't say that humbly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, um, it's it's taken a lot of work. Um, what we're able to do and be exposed to in terms of archaeology. I mean, this is not. You're going to go to Mary's hairdresser's house. Isn't this great? Yeah. You know, you're going to go to where Jesus got his popsicles. I mean, you can do that crap in Israel all day long, and it's nothing. It's just make believe. Um, but there's a different experience if you can go to places where they farmed. Um, you can go uh, and see really what the Jordan River is like. Uh, you can go, there, there's a temple, uh, a replica temple in a Tellerot um, that we can walk through that, um, a smaller version of what they built. I mean, just different. It's, it's an archaeological, it's a historical, it's a sort of hands-on. Uh, the guy that's going to be leading it is a former major in the Israeli Defense Force. Uh, he's uh, was also a uh, forest ranger in younger life, uh, park ranger. Uh, so some of the access we're going to do, um, the, the things that we're exposed to in terms of, of farmers, uh, other, I mean, you'll, you'll hear more about it, but I just want to extend a special invitation to you guys. Um, it's certainly open to families, too, if you're interested. We can only take 20, and I think I have about 12 already that have threatened me, so it'll go quick. We're, we're going to do more than one. We're really hoping to work this into the rhythm of our church. Uh, Pastor Kurt has skills and abilities like like very few people do to help this stuff to come alive, and he has connections over there. So we're hoping to to make this part of our our rhythm moving forward. Uh, to as we get more comfortable with this, to maybe even make it a part of confirmation somehow. Yep. Uh, talk about never forgetting your confirmation. Uh, taking a trip to Israel with your with one of your parents, uh, man, that's good stuff. And so uh, that's some of our dreams and hopes. So hopefully you'll consider it. Yeah, absolutely. It would. It's uh, putting your faith on steroids. The first one we're going to do in March. Um, we're, we're not completely set. It's probably going to be spring break week. Again, we're trying to pick up uh, the kids. Um, but it's cool and nice. The temperature in Israel is about the same here. And so it's spring. Um, you're going to be seeing everything in bloom. And the great news is uh, the Jews aren't there yet. Uh, so the tourism season is not uh, as challenging. We can get into places and hotels are half the rate. So, um, But like I say, about two weeks, we'll, we'll officially um, start the sign-ups. So anyway, any other comments? Let's pray. Father, our God, we walk in Midland, Texas. We have much to get done today. But let us not forget, this is not really our life. This is not our bread. We do have responsibilities, and we pray for the strength to take care of them. But our ultimate responsibility is to walk with you, 
to walk as you did, to be the light, the goodness, the gospel, the besorah that we're meant to be. Help us, O Lord, to look at what we do, to not be animals that are just instinct-driven. People do to us, and so we do back to them. May we stop that process and understand we do because our Lord has asked us to do. We do because we understand your word and we know your will. Help us to be found faithful. Whether we're taking some time off or we're hitting it hard, may we be living life by the word that you give us. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Have a great day, gentlemen.